It is finished. On this Good Friday, I want to reflect on Jesus' second last words or last words from the cross, it is finished. Three simple words in our English language and it can have various meanings according to the context in which these words are used. But when spoken by our Saviour on the cross as he was dying, they take on a whole new significance. In the original Greek language that this was written, it is actually only one word, tetelestai, which was a, actually a very common everyday Greek word. Tetelestai means it is finished, it is accomplished, it is complete, it is paid, the work is done, it is It stands finished. It will always be finished. Nothing else to do. Now, in our human condition, it does not feel like the work is finished as we struggle on. But what what did Jesus mean when he said it is finished moments before he was to give up his spirit and to die on a cross? The first thing is that the suffering is finished. The suffering has finished. This past week I had to go to the dentist and uh, if you're like me, the anticipation of going to the dentist is often much worse than the experience itself. And even as you lie there in the dentist's chair, I'm already sweating I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood experience of going to the dentist in Paraguay and, uh, and watching Marathon Man. If you haven't watched Marathon Man, don't, particularly if you want to send your kids to the dentist. So the experience, the anticipation of what you're going to go through can be much worse than the experience itself, but not in Jesus' case. Jesus knew from the very beginning how much he was going to suffer. He felt it all, he knew it all, he experienced it all, even before it actually happened. We, we, we see the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was excruciating, it was real, like drops of blood because of the, the agony that was already not looking forward in many ways that the cup would be taken away because of the pain that he would have to endure. He could see it, it was real, he could feel it and it started to ache way before the event. But he was ready for this hour, he was committed to this hour and he tried to tell his disciples what was going to happen. Even way before the garden, he was already telling his disciples what was going to to happen, but they didn't get it, they didn't comprehend. When James and John, the brothers, requested the places of honour in his coming kingdom, he mentioned the cup, the cup that he had to drink and the baptism that he had to undergo. And after Peter confessed that he was the Christ, he turned to his disciples and he began to tell them, and we read this from Matthew 16. 
from that time, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. For Jesus, it certainly was no trip to the dentist. There would be no anaesthetics. But now, now that it is complete, now the anticipation of the event, the lead up, the event itself, it is now finished. The shame, the suffering, the agony are past. Never again shall he experience pain like this. Never again shall he endure the insults of those he created, of sinners who turned against him. Never again shall he be in the hands of Satan. Never again shall he be separated from the Father. All that is now finally finished. What else is finished? The atonement is finished. Under the old system, a priest would say the Hebrew version of the word tetelestai in relation to the sacrifice that was offered by someone at the temple. The people would come to the priest, the priest would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the person and present it to God, meaning that the, the offering, the sacrifice is, is perfect, it is accepted. It meant that the person who offered the sacrifice could now walk out of the temple with a feeling that he has been forgiven by God for the sins that he had committed. And the moment that individual walked out of the temple, the sin was paid for. There was no further need to keep those guilty feelings in your head going, keep the tape running in your head, in your conscience. That is the end of it. For now, until next time. But now we hear from the lips of the most perfect priest who is himself the sacrifice, declare from the cross, it is finished. Some 700 years before this, Isaiah told us about this very moment. He said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was the atonement. He was the sacrificial lamb. He was the priest. He did it all. And the Bible tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Didn't he come to heal? Yes. Didn't he come to give us a good, a good example? Yes. Didn't he come to teach? Yes. Didn't he come to feed the hungry, to show justice? Yes. Didn't he come to build the church? Yes. All of the above, but his mission was to seek and to save the lost. 
Where do you find people who are lost? Yes, you can go to the highways and the byways, to the pubs and the brothels and the prisons. Those are the places where we sort of picture that sinners would hang out. These are the places that we would assume that lost people would be. But lost people are also on company boards, on university campuses, at schools, spread throughout our suburbs, so-called respectable suburbs, and even, even in our churches. This is why the Bible's definition of lost is much wider. We're all lost, need to be found, to be rescued. Isaiah said this, he said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We thought better, we thought best. I'll do my thing. And being lost has deadly consequences. And the place of death is the condemnation of God. Therefore, sinners could only be saved by the perfect one, taking their place, bearing their sins and going through death. An exchange happened. Our sins could be taken away only by their being blotted out by the precious blood of Christ. There was no other way the demands of justice of a holy God could be met except through this way. His perfect life for your sinful life. When God looks at us, he looks at the righteousness of Christ. That is the only way that the requirements of God's holiness could be satisfied and it was done through the Son. It seems a very gory thing, doesn't it? So much talk about blood. Mary Ann believed in God and his son Jesus, but she struggled with why Jesus had to shed his blood to bring salvation. Who would think of cleansing something with something as as, as gory as, as blood? Yet the Bible says the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. That's Hebrews 9.22. Glad Andrews is a Baptist pastor and not a an Old Testament priest that had to, that's right, you'd be fainting every sacrifice, wouldn't you? But in Mary Ann's opinion, this whole blood thing was just disgusting. Then one day she had to go to a hospital. A genetic condition developed and it altered her immune system and doctors became alarmed when the illness started attacking her blood. And as she was in the emergency room, she thought, if I lose my blood, I will die. But Jesus shed his blood so I can live, no matter what happens. Suddenly everything made sense. In the midst of her pain, 
Mary Ann felt joy and peace. She understood the blood is life. And a holy life was needed to make peace with God for us. Thankfully, today she is alive and well, thanking God for her health and for the gift of Jesus Christ for her eternal life. And Hebrews chapter 9 explains the meaning of the Old Testament blood ritual. It says, as we read, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. There is no forgiveness. Thanks to Jesus that once and for all his offering brought that whole animal sacrificial system to an end. Bearing our sin, he willingly died and shed his blood to become our sacrifice. And because of him, we now have confidence to enter God's presence. How could we ever thank Jesus enough for making his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, his life, our life, to bring us to the Father. What else is finished? What else is finished? Satan's power is finished. The, the cross marked the beginning of the end to the devil's power. As we look around us, I, I know that sometimes it's a little bit hard to believe this truth, especially after 2,000 years of human history and human misery. But even at at that time, it looked looked like the the moment of of the devil's greatest triumph. Yet, in reality, it was the hour that his fate was sealed. As Jesus declared, it is finished, the devil might have said, yes, yes, you are finished, you're right. But looks can be deceiving, can't they? And it's something that we need to accept by faith. And we read in John, John chapter 12, verses 27 to 32. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said, it had thundered. Others said, an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. That is the fulfilment of Calvary. When Jesus was lifted up, he will draw all men to himself from all tribes and nations, all nationalities, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, everyone. 
Now, in view of the cross, Jesus declared that the prince of this world will be driven out. Yes, it is true that Satan has not yet been cast into the bottomless pit. Nevertheless, the sentence has been passed, even though not yet executed. His doom is certain. His power is already broken so far as believers are concerned. So for us Christians, let's remember that he's running around as a defeated foe. He no longer has any legitimate claim on us. Once we were his prisoners, but Christ has freed us. If you are in Christ, through faith you have been freed. What we have to do now is to resist the devil and the promises that he will flee from you. That is the result of Calvary. And what are the finished results? The finished results. I suppose it's a little bit too easy to state Jesus died on the cross for us, though this is absolutely true. We must go on and live the life worthy of the cross. The, the, the live the life that, it, uh, that come as a result of the work of Christ on the cross. Because with the finished work of Christ, all barriers are gone. We are given a new beginning, a new start, and the power to live that goes with it. At the time of Christ's death, we read this. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's Mark chapter 15. The, the torn veil indicated that which was separating us from God was now torn. We could now enter. We could now walk through. God now offered free access to himself. We don't have to go through an earthly priest, there is no altar, there is no sacrifice that is needed. Christ is the intercessor. We have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Christ, as a result of his finished work, became the new and and living way to God. I like what what Billy Graham once said. He said, and I quote, the death of Jesus on the cross removed the last barrier between God and man. And with the words, it is finished, he announced that the road from man to God was completed and open to traffic. End of quote. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water.
There's a story of Ebenezer Wharton. He was, a, he was an Englishman and a bit of an eccentric, eccentric evangelist. Uh, many years ago, he held meetings in a tent on the village of, in the village green at uh, Lidford Brook. And the last service had been conducted and the crowd was leaving and the evangelist was, was busy. After the service had finished, the evangelist was busy taking down the tent. And a young fellow approached the preacher and, and rather casually asked, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? Too late, said the evangelist in a very matter-of-fact type of way as he looked at the inquirer. Too late, my friend, too late. And this sort of startled the, uh, the young man because it wasn't really the response that he was hoping for. Uh, oh, don't say that, Mr. Wharton. Surely it isn't too late just because the meetings are over. Yes, my friend, answered the evangelist, says it's too late. You're asking... What must you do? What must you do to be saved? And I tell you that you are hundreds of years too late. The work of salvation is done, completed, finished. It was finished on the cross. Jesus said so with the last breath that he drew, What more do you want? Then and there, it dawned upon the young man there was nothing for him to do to finish the work that the Lord had perfected on the cross. Nothing for him to do except to fall on his knees and accept the Saviour and his finished work of grace. The work of salvation is done. If Jesus said it was finished, how much, how much is, is there left for us to do? Nothing. And that rattles us when I say that. It's just, what do you mean? And, and that is the difference of the world. The Christian faith, the Christian hope, the Christian gospel and the rest of the religions of the world. All the religions of the world are you have to do this, you have to do that, that your good deeds have to be more than your bad deeds and perhaps you'll make it into heaven. So all the religions of the world have these two letters, do. You have to do. The Christian faith, based on the words of Jesus, based on his sacrifice, is done. It is done. What you have to do is appropriate yourself of that truth, give your life to Christ, surrender to Christ, accept his sacrifice, be declared righteous, you will, and live the life worthy of his salvation. But the salvation is yours. What, what, what do you mean? It is, that's his promise. Not my promise, that's his words. What you have to do is accept it and rejoice in it. It is finished. It is finished, but it is not over. The work of salvation is over and then the work of living the Christian life begins. 
proclaiming his love to others. It is not over because God made us his church to continue the work that he started. We are made so that we could declare his news, his good news to the world. I know many times I want it to be over. Jesus, come now. But it will not be until he says so, until he comes again. It is finished, but it is not over. And you know what I mean. Until he says so. May God bless us as we celebrate his sacrifice and we remember what he did for us.